0: Welcome to Construction Host! My name is Hudad and I'll be speaking with influencers in the construction industry. We'll learn more about who they are, what they do, and what's their passion at work and outside work. Remember, if you like this episode... Please share it with your friends and subscribe to the channel. Welcome, Mr. Fred Sadigi, Freddy, you call it, or Fred? Well,
1: look, it, my, my, real, my real name is Farid, but I've always been known as a Fred. Okay.
0: So, there you go. Uh, happy to have you and have a bit of conversation. Thanks, thank thanks you. for your thanks time. For
1: me. Well, thank you for having me.
0: No worries. So, before we get into the, the questions about the work and all that, I want to get a bit of background about yourself and your career. Um, and, uh, you know, if you don't mind, give us a brief of where were you born and grew up and
1: yeah, sure. Like I, I was born in uh, Iran, in, um, in Tehran, Iran, and um, we uh, immigrated to Australia back into the 89. I was only four years old then and, um, you know, I've, I've been obviously in Australia ever since. So I'm definitely feel more Australian than Iranian. You know, as you know, it's pretty, pretty hard to not be, you know, uh, re- related to that sort of culture when you're in a Persian family. Um, so yeah, no, we definitely um, kept kept in touch with those roots as well. Um, yeah, so I, I sort of uh, grew up in Wollongong in, in, in a little town called uh, Fairy Meadow, and um, you know we, when we moved to Sydney, it was just on the crux of, I guess, uh, picking um, I guess a bit of a career path for me. And how old were you when you came to Australia? Four years old you said? Four years old, yes.
0: Right, mm. was um, came with the whole family, I guess. And oh yeah. Yeah, settled certainly. here in Wollongong and went to school and all that, and yes. then then came to Sydney for just
1: well, families. You know, yeah, dad that, dad's work primarily, um, you know, and uh, it was just on the crux of uh, myself, you know, uh, picking that career path. I guess I, I wanted okay. to. I wanted to do the architecture at uni, but. Uh, um, the, the funny thing is I actually got distracted with a bit of uh, retail work. So I actually started working for uh, coal supermarkets. Right. I was uh, quite good at, um, at, least, at least I thought I was quite good at managing the night shift. And mm-hmm. uh, they ended up uh, offering me a full-time gig with a big salary. and Nice. At the, age, at the age of 19, it was very attractive. So I took that on and, and I did that for a few years and... Um, I was a store manager in development with them and working at one of their biggest stores in Sydney as a sort of grocery manager and um, yeah it, it, it was at that time when I sort of had the epiphany to get back into um, the architectural building side things and and get back into uni and and finish a course and 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 get get down to what I was really passionate about.
0: When you say you were always wanted to get to architecture was it something that? your parents were doing or your friends or you just oh, saw no, it
1: no no not, no not at all you know I, I knew very few people um in that field and um uh, basically when i was growing up I, I i really enjoyed um lego and building things with my hands and mm-hmm. um having uh lots of <clears throat> i guess architectural type drawing experience um just doodling away on, on whatever i was working on or doing the tech drawing back at uh back at school, um, I really enjoyed those sort of subjects and hence I always wanted to get into the architectural field Um, but again on, on that crux, I actually spoke to a lot of people about whether to do architecture or whether to do the building construction management courses and the strong advice and my own strong intuition was to get into construction management um, so well, what why is
0: that? If, if you if you would like to explore, um, was it uh, yeah, the, look, the, the the career uh, I guess opportunities or was it just uh, my, yeah it,
1: it, well there's definitely the career opportunity factor but it's definitely a lot more varied uh, and what I learned was uh, and and I know I can attest to is that uh, uh, when you get into building you get the the taste of everything you get the experience of uh, the architecture, the engineering, the, you know, consulting side, you get all of that, um, but without having to be uh, highly technical and one, you learn to, I guess, adopt all of them. And that was quite attractive, you know, and, and you know, uh, in my career of basically being in charge of, you know, all of those disciplines. Um, and I can tell you all of those people who I was in charge of, in a sense, um, are much much better than me at you know their, their expert the expertise field, uh, whether it's architecture or engineering. But you you get their full experience in building, right. which is which is fantastic. That I really enjoy that.
0: Okay, so after a few years of managing the calls, um, suddenly you're like, "Hey, I want to go back into it," and started applying for uni. Where where did you study?
1: Mm-hmm. So I went to, um, initially I went to the University of Western Sydney uh, to begin with, and I did the construction management course for a year there, but I found the opportunity to go to University of New South Wales, which is a little bit more of a prestigious type university, and um, I I finished the course there with um, uh, honours sort of class one, and, you know, went on to uh, write a thesis with one of our premier academics in the industry, and um, even published some papers with um, Ryan, right. UNSW um, in a respected CME journal, um, which is um, a real highlight for me. You know, just to, I, can, I can sort of call myself a published author.
0: Right. So you were obviously very engaged and involved. I mean I, I didn't study engineering here, but you know what I realized comparing to Iran, Everyone's, when they, when they want to work in the building industry, they go study civil engineering for whatever reason. We don't have this construction management at all. And it's very heavy on the mathematics and physics and dynamics. It's, it, you know, but I yeah. think is it's different here. It's a bit more uh, to the point get you ready for the job that you have to do.
1: I, I think one of the things is that uh, it's, it, it's, quite, um, it's quite expensive to engage any, any sort of, um, you know, management um, person, especially if they're going to be of an engineering background or architectural background. Mm. Um, and not often can you allocate an engineer to be a full-time, you know, manager of a project. Correct. Probably, you know, and also, that it, you know, becomes less about the technical side of things and more about people management.
0: Absolutely right. We got lots of consultants here for each uh, disciplines, pretty much, so you don't really have to have someone full time. Um, yeah, precisely. So, okay, studied uni. What 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 was the first kind of um, uh, construction job that you had after uni?
1: Well, after uni or before uni? Because um, when I was at uni, um, I, I was working full time. Right. Yeah, I didn't waste this time. And look, the, one, one of the things that um, actually got me into the mode of getting back into building was I, I, I read a lot of management books and I read a lot of motivational books. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really super motivated me. And you know, probably one of the more notable ones was um, you know, uh, a book called Awaken the Giant Within, by uh, Anthony Robbins, you know, if you know, if you know Anthony I wrote
0: I that book exactly too. That's awesome. Great, great for everyone. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: So I actually got, got my first job with um, a subcontractor and doing the sort of administration. And, you know, through the subcontractor, you know, we basically um, were working out of an office with lots of subcontractors and right. actually ended up starting a subcontracting business myself, you know, with um, in, in a tiling company and um you know we you know humble beginnings we all i was doing was sort of maintenance work and um, that maintenance work uh, eventuated in getting a a gig or a maintenance gig with the apple uh, retail stores uh, through a company called kellen rigby so kellen rigby was um one of australia's oldest builders um, at the time so yeah did 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 that for my my uni uh, period and actually ended up getting all of their main tiling contracts, and you know, for, for the Apple stores, um, we um, did pretty well. All the Apple store the tilings up to the point that uh, we experienced the uh, very negative side of our industry, which is a, a big company going bust. And um, yeah, so at the time, the Kevin Rigby, who was Australia's oldest builder, I was saying, like, um, went uh, into administration. Mm. And, uh, I nearly lost everything and uh it was right at the time when i graduated uh, from university as well so it was a very um you know uh critical time for me because uh you know it, it, it sort of scared me off the uh subcontracting path mm-hmm. and i decided to um go towards a career path and um, so my first job out of uni I, I started looking around and i got myself a, a, a job with Wattpack um and Wattpack were constructing um, the very uh, uh, prestigious uh, museum of contemporary art there at the Rocks, right? Wow. And um, I started to, to work for them as a contract administrator. Um, and, Straight uh, to the
0: contract admin, no oh, yeah.
1: oh no, no! I, I, I was I was way too good for that, right? You know, um, <laughs> at least that's what I told them, and I completely winged it the whole way. Well, look, the, the great thing about um, you know having your own business is that. Uh, you, you learn the mm-hmm. processes to the t because it's you it's your money it's your livelihood and yep. you know with that um a sort of you know yeah admittedly I, I, I probably um oversold myself a little bit but i proved myself um very You back yourself up okay oh Absolutely. look and know, and, and you know uh, what what pack um uh, you know, gave, gave me uh, a, a yet another prestigious project to go on to after that, which is the Bankstown Library Knowledge Centre, which is you know, right um, building designed by FJMT, and you know, was a was a really was a really nice project. Mm. Um, but um, you know, uh, after a year or so working with Watpac, uh, which is a great experience by the way, and lots of great people, I, I heard about an opportunity to uh, work for Taylor. Now, during my few years of working as a subcontractor, I noted the good builders and the Mm -hmm. bad builders, the ones with great reputations and the ones with such a great reputation. And Taylor was definitely a great uh, builder with a great reputation and Mm -hmm. always thought uh, it'd be great to work for them. So um, off I went to the interview um, nearly 10 years ago now and I'm still with Taylor. So working away with Taylor. and
0: Worked the ranks up yeah. from CA, similar. And then when, when was it that you became a project manager? And what, what is actually, what's the difference, really? Tell us well, what, what, was, what was so different for you from contract admin to, to the project manager?
1: Well, de- definitely, um, you know, you're, you're less involved with um, the technical side of things um, and, and the financial side of things. Um, as a contract administrator um, and, and try and be more involved with the um, personnel sort of management type of things. Um, look, I actually um, was appointed a project manager on my second project with uh, Tate. With so I really, I did a really good job on the first one and uh, I gave it everything I had. Do
0: mm-hmm.
1: you, know, you remember yeah.
0: which project was it? Sorry,
1: the well, first. first project was a master's home improvement store and right. a homemaker center at Heatherbrae. So it was right. about uh, 20,000 square meters of warehouse, mm-hmm. of which was retail space, essentially. And, um, you know, uh, we we did a magnificent job. Uh, Woolworths and Lowe's, who were the joint ventures in making the masters home improvement stores, actually liked our work and our ethics so much that uh, they wanted us to continue building well, as many stores as they could, I guess they could give us. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, they, they wound up as well.
0: Yes, masters, yeah. Yeah, so masters
1: couldn't compete with the likes of Bunnings and, and they decided to no longer pursue the um, hardware store um, trend. But like, you know, really simple things and really understanding our client was probably key. Um, you know, Our client was after a super polished concrete floor, you know, not mm-hmm. many... Big warehouses had that at the time. Sure. They couldn't afford it is the only thing. I mean, they they didn't want to spend the hundreds of dollars per square meter. So, you know, we came up with a methodology Mm -hmm. that gave them that result um, for the same price. And and that was, you know, sort of working closely with subcontractors and understanding the level of um, detail they were willing to, uh, I guess, apply for it. So... You know, really right. simple stuff blew the client away. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's how um, uh, we, we managed, or I guess I managed to uh, convince management to uh, appoint me a project manager on the next project. And working autonomously, of course, as, as much as you know. Mm-hmm.
0: So you've been appointed as project manager from probably eight or nine years ago, something like that. Do you, do, you, do you remember how many projects you've done so far with Taylor? Oh, geez. <laughs> do, do you keep count well, of it normally or not?
1: Oh, yeah. Look, I, I do. I remember every single one. I mean, they're all very, um, very special projects. And,
0: they're like uh, your babies, you
1: call they're, them? They're, they're, yeah, absolutely they're like babies. And you sort of become infatuated with every the aspect of them. And you're, you're trying to do everything you can to uh, make sure mm-hmm. it's a success for the company and make sure it's a successful team. And mm-hmm. Of course, um, yourself. Uh, something that uh, you know you can you can look back and to be proud on. Of, uh, of um,
0: do you, do you look back at some of those projects that you have done? Or you drive by them and you thinking, hey, do you know- I?
1: I. Funny you should <laughs> say that. Oh man, like uh, I, I actually this very holiday that passed uh, you know on the on the way up to our holiday I, I, I told my wife and kids i'm like there's somewhere we have to stop on the way it's very special to me and we stopped by the old home you know the the the, the what is now a bunnings and a homemaker center but it was the masters that i constructed 10 years ago and i was in there taking a video of all the finishes and the floor and you know everything else like that and and and, and one of the one of the Bunnings people came up to me and said, "What are you doing? Like, is, is this? Um, are you doing some sort of research?" I said, "No, no, I built this place ten years ago. It's it, it, it's got a strong connection w- with me." So, and they're like, "Oh, that's great! Oh, well, let's hold up. Well, there's no issues here." <laughs> you know,
0: it's, that's um, awesome. So, yeah, I do. I do, I I do have a deep past. Deep, yeah, <laughs> deep. you feel deep connection to those projects? Obviously, uh, what is it that you enjoy about being a project manager? What do you like about it? Um,
1: just to, you know, I guess be in, you know involved. I have the opportunity to, you know, make a difference to a project. I think is really important uh, to me personally. I mean, we, we all, um, you know, aspire to, I guess, you know, be um, a, a bit of a manager or a leader in, in whatever sense we, we may apply that to in our lives. But I, I really enjoy the, pro- the whole process of building construction. I mean, everything from design to detailing, to, you know, understanding people and understanding our clients, understanding our own people um, is super um, interesting. I mean, it's something that, uh, uh, like I said, even from a very early age when I was working for Coles, I was reading a lot of management books and and really getting myself into the mindset of how to be a good manager. And uh, I probably worked with... um, I, I dare say you know ten, 10 or so store managers in my short time at Coles you know and that's what they do in Coles they send you to store to store to become a store manager in development and, and I saw a lot of different managerial styles you know and, and same in construction I mean we have worked with uh, a lot of very good um, senior project managers or construction managers or you know uh, directors of companies and Right. that, that you, you can you can certainly see different management styles and, and how to develop your own
0: in short term i guess what is your management style what do you think is effective to be a good project manager
1: i, I yeah look I'm I'm, I'm I'm a bit of a softy right you know um mm-hmm. uh, and, and only only um I, I have a very friendly style of management and mm-hmm. i'm always super approachable at least as much as possible um and certainly try and genuinely help people uh, in their careers you know in, in, in developing themselves and, um, and and that's sort of what I noticed works really well you know from a from every manager a practicality of a managerial point of view and and by the way I worked with a lot of hard asses as well lots of people that uh, you know had a very negative style and had a very tough stance and you know no, I, I never saw the proper results out of that and, and I certainly didn't want that as a legacy for myself mm-hmm. although some people deliver that very well and, and you know fear is a great motivator right but um, yeah I think,
0: um, and just looking at the bottom line sometimes I guess especially when you're dealing with the subcontractors how do, how do you think is different though? like managing your own people and subcontractors is it, is it the same
1: yeah obviously it's a little it's a little bit different of course but um You know, when you're dealing with subcontractors, um, you know, it depends on the person dealing with, uh, you know, sometimes you're dealing with the director of a company themselves or you're dealing with an employee of that company. And um, I think one of the uh, key differences is that um, when it's your own money or when that person's dealing with their own money, Mm -hmm. obviously perspectives change a little bit and and you need to be cognizant of that. Um, And and you. Certainly. I mean, that's without saying that sometimes you do have to be firm and make some difficult decisions um, at the end of the day. There's a business to be run and um, we're not necessarily there to uh, be mates or buddies, but uh, it, it certainly helps when, you know, you do have good relationships with people. They're, they're willing to go that extra mile. Mm-hmm. And at least if you don't catch them on that project, you know, with a, with a really positive um perspective you know hopefully they can see it for the next one Um, i think that's typically the way most people try and operate you know you always try and maintain those good relationships absolutely yeah and and be importantly you have to be a manager and a builder and a company that people want to work for from both from your own personal perspective but also subcontractors because they're the ones delivering the work i mean we really you know the backbone of everything we do
0: that's right well i was about a (laughs) <laughs> say that i don't know would you say saying saying say, saying builder is a bit overrated because you guys don't actually build anything you just facilitate oh, that process <laughs> facilitate <laughs> Thanks. Is, is it isn't it Thanks all the subcontractors <laughs> <that.
1: laughs> yeah look it, it is true that, that um i guess building has been become has, has become really um something that is really all about uh, a process management. Um, and and that's absolutely true. I mean, everything is a process management. I mean, I, I can't think of a, a small project, let alone a little project that you don't end up engaging a subcontractor to one extent or the other. Right. Yeah. Usually not, not often do you do everything yourself. I mean, you, you, you have to engage um, several people and, and know how to contract with them efficiently and mm-hmm. you know, prudently, to make sure um you know the project is delivered,
0: sorry, the name was traditionally when you say builder, you kind of remember that guy with a bit of hammer and a bit of power tool and goes and fix things up and build things up now that it evolved like so dramatically became like this um almost like a yeah just like people managers that managing processes and people using various softwares and maybe even AI we're gonna talk about it to manage those processes much better i guess that's changed dramatically which probably requires a lot more um people management skill and social skill than before
1: absolutely i mean you've you've hit the nail on the head so to speak and 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 i think it depends on the type of construction and, and and the tier of Company in operation, and, and that's a that's a whole other um, discussion potentially. I mean, as as you increase the project values, the whole management, I guess, level changes quite uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, uh, from third tier, second tier to to a first tier type company, they all vary quite greatly. And and the only the only thing that probably is relatively yeah, shared is, is some of the subcontractors do cross over between one tier to the next. But uh, it's it, certainly the, the amount of management um, and, and process being thrown in front of everybody is significantly different.
0: Hmm. Um, just wondering during your career, did you have any, I call it a mentor or someone to rely on? Or do you think it's actually important to have someone like that
1: at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the best, um, the best place any uh, newbie could learn um, a thing or two is is by uh, looking at their own sort of, line manager or the managers around them. I think everybody can be um, a sort of a mentor to you. Uh, you can take what you can from them hmm. and learn what you can from them. Um, I look, I didn't really have a allocated mentor, so to speak, or um, a person that I constantly liaise with, but I, I certainly work with some really good people for a long time. And not to mention the books. I mean, a, 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 a couple of really um, key people in, in my career have been probably a couple of the most respected guys in our industry um, you know, from the contractual side. Um, I spent a lot of time with, uh, you know, back at Wattpack with Keith Tai of Wattpack back in the day, and he was a, he was a real inspiration to, to myself. And uh, taught me a lot during my project management time. I, I spent a couple of years with um, uh, Charlie Licciadello, who's you know a very revered sort of senior project manager, and you know we worked on the Pullman Hotel and Connect Corporate Centre together. And I certainly learned a lot from Charlie. You know, um, but everybody, everybody who I've uh, you know dealt with, and, and especially at Taylor, I mean, uh, all the managers that we've had, you um, know, work worked with on various projects have been. Um, just um, a real, real um, a class, I guess. You know, they're, they're all the best of the best of the industry, in my view. And, and um, you know, maybe I'm, I'm stretching the truth a little bit, but uh, <laughs> that's just been nice to everybody else.
0: That's it. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about the new um, building laws that uh, came to effect, I guess, from last year. What do you think about it in general, and how did that impact your life as a project manager
1: I oh, look th- thankfully not not greatly and and certainly we're all very well aware and of, of of all the um new pieces of legislation um that have been introduced and hopefully for the better and um
0: mm-hmm.
1: i guess it, it depends on the type of projects as well i mean i i think a lot of the new legislation and i think you're, you're probably referring to a uh, mainly from the multi-unit residential class two yeah class two buildings um, yeah. Which is a really sore point for me. Would uh, um, n- I've really, I've <laughs> really. I? I mean, look, I, I haven't worked on a. I look the the definition. The definition mm. of um, what is a residential building mm-hmm. is still not properly described in, in in the in the at least in the Home Building Act. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know it's very well described in, you know, the NCC and the, what was, you know, B, the BCA, I guess, in, in the classes of building, that's fine. But what, what the reason it's actually a sore point, um, despite my very extensive experience in all these multi-story type constructions, I, I'm, I'm unable to get a residential builder's license. Mm. I, I'm not allowed to build a single-story home right. because of the definition of residential. So it's really funny. I mean, it's a bit of a sore point because um, I, I, um, I think I've, I've mentioned this to you before, but um, I've applied for this license and it's been refused. And for the life of me, I can't understand why. I mean, the the, the thing is that um, this the thing is that a person that mm-hmm. without much of an education, let's say, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't really you know verse themselves in standards or codes or these very important factors in construction like safety, you know, mm-hmm. matters uh, can quite easily get a builder's license for residential, but a commercial builder like myself or an architect or an engineer for that matter can't get one, even if right. we, yeah. So you, you, you literally have to have uh, specific um, experience in uh, mm-hmm. residential, which in my, in my view, is a bit silly. To, uh, and, to, enl-
0: to enlighten me and the listeners a bit more, why do you think a commercial builder is eligible? Is it because the commercial buildings are a bit more advanced in, in terms of design and you know, building? Or
1: Well, they're all – look Building is essentially the same, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if someone builds a hotel, right? Sure. Is, how is a hotel – Significantly different from a apartment block, mm. it's not. It's it's pretty well exactly the same. So I, who have built a hotel for you know a five star hotel, may I add, and to the peak of you know processes and standards and right. everything else that goes with that, um, I would be ineligible because a hotel isn't a residential building. Right. So it, it's it's a it's a bit of bureaucracy in my view. It's a very rigid bureaucracy, you know, that prevents, um, you know, highly experienced, um, highly, um, you know, uh, uh, capable uh, people from getting a builder's license. But what is, I guess, the kick in the guts mm-hmm. is that a person with no uni degree, as long as they've had the two years on-site experience on a single-story Really? House, can go and get a license and build a class two building
0: without the uni degree
1: well look, look there's definitely a, a, a educational requirement but you can do a course in TAFE a lot of guys do a quick course in TAFE and I can tell you that those people um, would not have had that experience in looking up Australian standards and right. understanding structures and waterproofing and other elements, which is super important to the whole building process as a commercial builder, mm-hmm. like myself, I mean, oh, I, I can, I can, I can, that, that's what's probably the causing the, the problem. You think, do you think it's definitely part of the problem. And mm-hmm. unfortunately um, I don't, I, I, I don't know why, but, um, oh look, it's, a, it's a department of fair trading, right. And, and what are now the um, department of customer service, um, yeah. Who, instead of you know reviewing cases and you know, applications based on merit, um, they're literally just a tick box. Do you have the two years experience? No. Do you have the you know? So they don't, they don't even they don't even consider your resume. Right. I mean, a lot of, a lot of guys could probably you know um, get a license without uh, without any significant experience. And go and build a multi-story building. Go and build an opal tower. Go, go and
0: build a unit for you, the senior project manager. Project and, manager, and you yeah. go. You're gonna ha- go and have lived there.
1: Look, uh, I think no, nobody, nobody is discounting the fact that uh, the quality of apartment block building is pretty average on the most cases. Mm. And and if you look at the license holders for most of those, I bet you not many of them are university educated. And that's okay, by the way. That's okay. It doesn't mean you have to have a university. All I'm, all I'm saying is that, you know, I you myself said- who did, you know, do a lot of work in mm-hmm. understanding laws and regulation and building code, uh, you know, requirements through university and, and then went on to practice it for 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. are unable to do the same and get a license and, and maybe work on residential one day. Not that I need to, not that I want to, but... Um, it's you just, just want
0: that possibility to be open, I guess, it's exactly, a fair point. Yeah, Exactly.
1: I'm not sure why, but in my experience, um, that said department will fight tooth and nail to make sure that the, the person who's been refused doesn't get it. Right. So you have to take them to the tribunal and, you know... The department will throw everything at it instead of reviewing, of course, your case for its merits. We, and and by the way, completely nameless and faceless, because nobody, nobody in the department is a contact. You can't call anybody and talk to them and say, "Oh, can mm-hmm. you check this part of my case?" No, no, there's nobody to speak to, and there's um, obviously there's a commissioner and there's a there's a minister, but neither of which are willing to um, step in on these sort of matters
0: unless you go and work on a um resi job for two years you can yeah we cannot unfortunately build a house
1: i I, look i won't mention any names but my more than my own staff members um got their builder's license no questions asked right no questions asked and and i think you know off
0: off they go they can build something interesting i mean this is definitely something i will uh, uh i'll try to bring up with uh david when i have him on the show fantastic uh, yes mr David and, Chandler, of course and uh see what his response is but uh, so in, in general if if i want to summarize so you the, the new regulation didn't really affect your um work because you guys were doing all those things about waterproofing about the combustibility and all that anyways
1: yeah
0: um, most, brought, most we them. brought a bit of more focus on it i'm not sure around it is oh, around certainly. all that
1: we we to, to, to be to be quite frank, I mean, we, we've even conducted reviews of historical projects and understood, you know, I guess the levels of um, cladding that we may have applied on, on historical projects on the cladding
0: mm-hmm. matter,
1: specifically, I mean, and, and we've spoken to, you know, sort of all those clients about, um, about that. Um, of course, you know, everything that we do, we, we, we try and conduct to the highest standards, especially regards waterproofing, I think waterproofing is um, any, any builder can tell you is probably 90% of their sort of defect costs. Uh, because when you have a waterproofing mm. defect, it affects a range of things, um, you know, including, you know, layers and layers of, of building material. So nobody wants to go and gut um, a whole building um, to rectify waterproofing. So mm. we, we, we have our own consultants specifically on waterproofing, and we do engage them and, and get um, all the products and uh, inspections conducted through them as a bit of a third party as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really important to get some expert advice um, yeah. on every project because every project is different. I, I think a lot of architects and designers would be very cautious in sort of applying that new material, if, if not because of you know the rhetoric alone and mm. the reality is though um you know when the building is engineered fire engineered you know to 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 a level um it's it's highly unlikely that you know the the very um you know uh, tragic things that have happened in the past and, and, and even in melbourne where you know there was a, a cladding fire um mm-hmm. you know which also caused the um a, a bit of panic um it, it, it's it's unlikely that people will use those sort of materials comfortably. Um, they certainly had their time and day, and I, I know a lot of architects have now switched to the fiber cement type sheets that give the same look. They're they're a lot heavier, of course. So you know you you rely on a bit more structure, but um, I think it's probably not a bad outcome. Um, I, I personally I, I don't particularly love the look of um, you know the aluminum cladding but there's certainly a lot of um a lot of buildings that we've designed with them Mm. and there's certainly lots of color ranges and and textures and styles that you you can achieve with them and i think they'll they'll be popular enough to um keep the good guys going the guys that are certified um you know which are very few and far between by the way there's not many claddings that are um comfortably used that's right
0: Dulux even have some products to to, to put on those fc to make it look like a bit aluminium wow. um which uh yeah now, now we may it, it may give, get a bit more attention <laughs> so that, that,
1: that, that's a that's actually a really good plug um what's a product called uh
0: so Ac- aluminium oh, of course, yeah. and yeah. um yeah mm. so it gives a bit of aluminium look so Lovely. we we actually use it on one of the taylor job here um i think it was in Kaima. I'm not
1: wrong. Oh, very good. The kind of school, yes.
0: Yeah. So but um very good. So going back to uh the construction in general, there's a lot of lot of things changed in the past few years and I've touched on it a little bit about um, softwares they use to manage projects and AI and maybe robots. How do you see it evolving? Where do you like it to go in in the next few years?
1: Yeah, you, know, you, you this is this is actually a little bit of an area of my um, passion as well. Um, I come from a family of uh, you know, computer scientists. You know, so you know, part of the reason we immigrated to Australia and Wollongong in particular, my dad was um, finishing off a sort of PhD in computer science in in Wollongong Uni. So. Um Look, computers and the software that goes with them has sort of revolutionized everything we do. Um, you know what a couple of the main sort of pieces of software that we use nowadays are like ACNICs, like right? simple project management, document management, and sort of process management tools that they offer. And, and there's you know, multitudes of them at the moment, and everyone's coming out with a new product and, Obviously, Connects did exceptionally well, and it was a Australian product. I mean, made by a couple of um, Aussie blokes out of uni and sold to one of the biggest software development companies in the world, Oracle, for uh, I think it called $1.6 billion. Um, and then now there's, uh, you know, uh, relatively new to Australia's market is the uh, is, is Procore. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we started to trial Procore and um and, and then there's um, you know the historical project project management softwares you know like I uh, don't know if people remember Project Center and mm. you know Team binder and which have all evolved now to be different companies and different names. but um, they're, they're super important. I mean without them there's no document management and I think any builder can tell you document management is, is going is, is, is key. And mm. even the new legislation um, that's come into play, uh, focuses on document management. I mean, now any multi-unit residential has to upload uh, multitudes of certifications and stages and you know com- compliance points with mm-hmm. the department of you know customer service at each stage. And, and based on I guess you know what that looks like, you now you, you, the department may audit you. Um, so they're also requiring the levels of design to be closer to a hundred percent and yes. you know that design management aspect um couldn't be well managed without a good software like you know Aconex or Procore or, or mm-hmm.
0: I see it as insurance for you as a builder where if something goes wrong and also have have things uh, to present if, if if ever there's a court or something or, or disagreement um, or whatever that is, yeah. uh, that you've done everything as per you know certain um, standards and you have the documents to show.
1: A- absolutely right. And um, you know one of the one of the things that uh, uh, these these softwares allow you to do is also put all correspondence on them as well. So mm-hmm. not only the document management, every piece of correspondence between you architects, engineers, and clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, are recorded. I mean, for everyone's benefit, of course, and but not not often. Um, you know, uh, but in my experience, thankfully, uh, we've had to go down the liti- litigation path. Right, but um, it certainly does happen, and, and, and certainly needs to be in place. It
0: helps obviously with the communication too, uh, with the architect, consultant, contractor. Everyone's kind of on the same page, even Precis- the supplier. Because I've been in, uh, you know, invited to some of those A connects. Uh, for the projects too, I and mean, yeah, it makes it definitely easier. Everyone's on the same page. So, I guess construction industry is always, it was always behind implementing technology, and I feel builders taking it up probably faster than subcontractors even. And yeah. do you think that's 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 kind of affecting some of the subbies to either force themselves into the market or out of the market if they don't know how to use those softwares?
1: hundred percent. Look, uh, I, I can't um, think of a subcontractor um, who probably hasn't dealt with, you know, the aforementioned document management softwares. I mean, if they don't deal with them, frankly, um, they won't survive. Um, mm. But what's probably the next stages, well, not the next stages, but the current stages of, of what we're you know teething through is using the full power of uh, building information modelling. So, mm-hmm. you know, not BIM. only having a 3D model, which, you know, we've, I've probably had on every project for the past 10, 10 years or so, mm-hmm. um, but also incorporating then in the time and cost aspects into that software and in into that 3D model, um, which are becoming more and more prevalent. Um, you know, on, Why, why is
0: that though? Why do you think BIM or building information model? Is that what Modeling, yes, yes. Stand for why? Why has it become more popular? Is it the clients that want it, or is it?
1: Well, it yeah, it's de- it's definitely something that everybody aspires to do and do well because at any point in time, it gives you um, a perfect rendering of what you're looking at, um, whether it's a detail or the whole building. I mean, most of the time, the clients only are interested in the whole building view, perhaps, mm-hmm. but you can also really get down into the minute detail. And sort of the minutiae of detail that we're talking about is um, probably more, more important. Is the the break of quantity, so you know how much your building is going to cost. So we can tell you the volume of concrete and the number of, you know, steel beams and you know how much flooring and how much um, roofing you might have in a particular build. Um, but also you can attribute time to each task, and you mm. can literally see in a 3D model how this building. Will go together and where you can find the most saving and it's real-time data you know it's something that uh is more readily available now because architects and engineers are now properly using revit mm. the 3d modeling and, and being able to incorporate them into um you know ifc type models which which basically means it's a you know you can federate the models and and overlay them and clash detect properly clash detect mm. um and Probably after ten years of you know dealing with 3D models only, what um, we we finally used the full power of BIM on a particular project, and it worked to an extent. I mean, it, it was a, a sort of a Ride Central project where you know we're building the new, we're designing rather the new um, city of Ride, um, uh, you know, offices and 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 the hall, and. Mm-hmm. It was quite useful in, in clash detection and, and and coordinating that between um, various consultants. Um, and on on a large scale project, it certainly can be can be done. At the moment, it's not as cost effective on on small projects because of the heavy sort of administration factor.
0: Sorry, when you say clash detection, can you can you explain? Yeah, that a sure. Like more? for
1: example, you you've let's say your structural engineer has designed, um, you know, various floor plates with beam sizes that are required structurally, Mm -hmm. Um, but then your mechanical contractor has designed duct work, which needs to be a certain size. Now, if you need to go through the ceiling space and you end up hitting every beam, you can't just cut through beams. So Mm. it automatically detects that, you know, oh, here's a clash between a duct and a structural beam. You need to do something about this so perhaps a mechanical contractor can elongate their duct work and get the same mm. airspace um that they need the same volume that they need um in in, in a nutshell and, and that goes for pipe work um the fire uh, electrical lighting all mm. those can be um uploaded into um into the model and into and the bim yeah.
0: mm. even i don't know if you know <laughs> julux just uh, updated all the bim uh, well, a lot, a lot of our products into the beam too, which uh, yeah, um, awesome. You know, it's uh, paint, but uh, there's a lot of uh, protective coating, pattern coating, all that stuff too that goes into it. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. I think this is something that hopefully move forward. And I mean, I'm I'm a fan of technology. I, I love that how it's he, uh, evolving, and uh, I got myself a VR. Ooh, wow. just during the christmas time <laughs> and i'm I, I didn't expect it to be that awesome but i'm yeah. like and i've seen the stuff actually some of the builders i'm not sure if you guys use that i wanted to ask you they use the vr uh to show how the project looks like not only from you know this screen but they actually can walk inside it and have a look and you know
1: well we, we will do you one better um you know right. recently <laughs> Um, mm. Our IT department partnered with Telstra, and right. um, uh, they um, put together a, a VR, um, I guess, model of um, uh, what well, we already had—a model of the Opera House.
0: So we're right. currently
1: working on the Opera House project, um, and there's a full holographic, you know, 3D model of Opera House, which you can, you know, by hand manipulate, manipulate, and go through and walk through. So. Yeah, certainly is we it, are. Is it for, is it for
0: like, what, people that come to the office to show up or is it is it just for the client or is it?
1: Yeah, look, I'll, I'll, I'll stop short of just saying it's a bit of a gimmick, but it, <laughs> it, 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 it is at the moment a little bit impractical to use it on an everyday, you know, project. Mm. But certainly on a big project like that, what could give you a better perspective and visually looking at something in, in real life, you know, in, you know, what, in real life, in, in real scale rather? Um so I think it's definitely got a got a future. Um, it, I, think- it, I
0: mean, I'm thinking from my point of view. Obviously, working for Dulux and interior, exterior of the building, which I kind of see it as, you know, gives a bit of flavor to the building. Yeah, you, you design your concrete and all that structure perfectly, and you have a very good facade. But if you don't have paint and you don't have that finishes, it just doesn't have that uh, flavor. Gives it a bit of flavor. And I agree. Being able Absolutely. to walk inside the you know project and being able to manipulate even that—imagine that would be awesome. I think um, hopefully we see that very soon. I don't think it's that far. Um, hopefully not.
1: Hopefully. and and it's it's actually um, getting closer and closer to being a real time, uh, you know, construction stage model as well. Um, there's lots mm. of companies that are doing uh located pictures during your yes. construction phase so you, you attach a a um i guess a, a couple of cameras to your helmet and you're walking around site and automatically taking pictures and modeling everything you've done and can even measure your progress yes it's a little bit scary because um you know we always make out that we've done more work than we actually have right you know
0: it's a, it's a bit too much micromanagement i guess but yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of getting there you're right i've I I can't remember the company name, but I think they're using that on uh, a few projects, including I think Burangaroo. There's a guy putting a putting a little camera at the top of his head, taking a 360 video. I don't know photos, and you get a progress of the job. Because I've seen a lot of builders putting um, they call it cameras all around the site. I'm not sure if you
1: guys do that. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. People in the head office can have a look at it and. So it's Look, kind of um, a
1: good... I, I've I've always loved that tech, and if it's not only you know for our own use, but you know our clients really enjoy getting that broad perspective of whether it's just a high level shot from afar. Um, actually, um, probably five six years ago, I, I purchased our company like a, a drone, mm. so we started taking drone shots of a lot of our projects. Um, That's awesome. Yes, yeah, so I've been I've been giving those sort of drone shots. to Our clients are recently on a current project we put together a full-blown video of, of, of you know, the stage we're at. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's always very well received, at least the people who are, you know, commissioning you to do this work.
0: Considering we, I think, as humans, <laughs> we're spending more and more time on the screen, it, 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 which is either TV or computer screen or mobile phone. I don't know what you think. We, we're becoming addicted, I think, with visual stimulus which is either video or photos and stuff like that the text is kind of outdated a bit i don't know what you think about it. yeah
1: look um it, it, it's it's become it's become too easy it's become too easy to um fall into that cycle i guess you know even the young guys that are working on site i sometimes have to poke them in the ribs and say well how about instead of checking the camera you're going for you for a walk <laughs> <laughs> just, just just over here um and then yeah no it, it it certainly is and I think it's definitely the way of the future I think you you probably with your VR set I don't know if you've been into a metaverse pretty soon we are building buildings in metaverses
0: yeah well it's it's not that advanced well at the minute it's uh, yeah you can meet with people virtually and I don't know play games and all that it's a bit basic but I don't know it's, it's scary at the same time too you know. You don't want to spend all your time on a VR (laughs) stuck
1: at home. What are you? What are you from? What could go wrong? You know.
0: Hmm. I don't know. (laughs) We'll we'll see what happens with that. But let's um, let's talk a little bit about, I guess, your hobbies and and, and your whatever you like to do in free time, family, all that. If you don't mind.
1: I look a couple of my. Passions have always um, been fishing and soccer, and um, you know whenever I get a chance, I'm, I'm doing those. i you know with with the family. We, we love being outdoors. I mean, I'm, I'm a very outdoorsy person, and, and part of the reason I like the building thing because you can sort of pop outside and have a look around site and inspect what you're mm-hmm. actually physically doing. And um, but yeah, as far as outdoor sort of recreational activity, I'll if it's outdoors, I'll you know I'm, I'm interested. Particularly, always been into fishing. You know, I grew up five minutes from the beach, and you know, five minutes from the, the, the jetties of um Harbour. And
0: um, right.
1: always loved to take out a rod with dad, and you know, go throw a line in and catch a few little nippers. And 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 I now now pass on that uh, that that skill set to my my son and my daughter, who are, you know, seven and five, and they're relatively good uh, fishos, I guess. Thanks. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, and and that you know, it's just it's it gets us out and exploring places and going different places and being near water, which is you know super calming. It's mm. just the therapeutic for me, you know, just being out near um, a nice body of water somewhere.
0: Mm. And you you mentioned soccer. You play or you follow?
1: Oh, look, play. Um, I, I mean, I don't have time to follow much. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I always watch the highlights of, right. uh, of games. Um, here or there and uh, but no i I, I usually get out with the guys on a social soccer on tuesdays and sundays and sometimes on thursdays
0: outdoor or is it indoor
1: yeah most of the time it's outdoor uh, but all on synthetic fields nowadays so it's all synthetic um, grass Mm -hmm. as you would have it
0: Um, the full size field or half size
1: depending depending on numbers so week to week it actually fluctuates right you know one week everyone's coming and it's a full field and the next week there's only ten, so it's five a side, and we do a half field, right? And that, that's a great thing about these synthetic turfs you know, fields—you can sort of pick and choose yes. um, what size of um, field uh, to play on. But yeah, keep, keeps keeps me active and, and healthy. It's something that I grew up sort of playing, I guess, from from a, I guess a, a young age, and um, probably one of the you know key key moments in my life was when. Uh, Iran and played Australia back in 1997. Do, do you remember
0: yes. that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Khadad oh, Adazizi. Khadad <laughs> Adazizi, yes. And, uh, and um, Ali Da'i. Ali Da'i. And, yeah, uh, and and All the legends. And, oh, yeah. Abed don't Zadeh. Remember,
1: don't forget about Abed, Abed, Abed Zadeh. Abed yeah. Super goalkeeper.
0: Super goalkeeper, I'd say. I, I about, went to the
1: game in Melbourne, in the MCG. Did you? Yeah, yeah. So family and you know friends, we all you hopped on a bus and, and went down and, and watched a game. Wow. And <laughs> that was a legendary game. Uh, this, I, I don't... Yeah, this, this was the first proper stadium experience I've ever had, right? You know, so up to that point, I, there's nowhere near 100,000 people in the stadium mm. uh, that I'd ever experienced. And it was just electric. And that game um, was probably one of the most nail biting games for both sides of. Um, but, mm. You know, but and I was conflicted with who I'm going for, right? Because um, uh, I think I was more Australian than um, than Iranian, but perhaps. But right, um, yeah, the Iranians got lucky, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so were you happy after? <laughs> oh no, no doubt. No, I mean, I, I think I would have been happy no matter who won. Yeah. Right? But uh, I it. Um, it was certainly a very thrilling game. You know, mm. do, 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 you know, two nil down, and then uh, Iran two, comes two. back. 2 2 in the last five or 10 minutes of the game. It was just mm. crazy. And well, who was, do you remember who was the goalkeeper from Australia? I remember he was very good uh, too. Bosnich.
0: Bosnich, yes. He was an awesome goalkeeper too, actually. yeah,
1: But I think Abed you know, the Iranian goalkeeper, probably saved 20 goals that day. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And, and there's solid, solid, you know, chances. But um.
0: thankfully, now I think Iran is, um, I think because of the massive uh, support they have in the country, even though you know other sports as well, we have a lot of support. But football, I think wrestling, they get massive support, and yeah. they, they they're doing pretty well. I think they they qualifying almost every year now, every every time. Oh, yeah. now. yeah. Mm-hmm. They became number one team in Asia now. Yeah, so, fantastic. It was always Japan and. Australia and South Korea and mm,
1: mm.
0: now is Iran actually. So yeah.
1: Do 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 do
0: <laughs> <laughs> So do you That's do all you I get, remember you
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do, their trumpets
0: Do you do you still get to read books, I don't know, watch movies uh, those, or music all stuff casually or you casually, follow yeah. re- religiously any sort of books these days or not really?
1: no not really to be honest. I it's something that I used to do a lot. And nowadays, it's um the five minutes of reading you get in your iPhone before you go to bed, yeah, um, and and yeah, certainly, uh, uh, still looking at all the various management, you know, methodologies and the latest things that you know, um, my dad related would say to your or whatever, yeah, <laughs>
0: related to your field, yeah. What I found, it's it's same for me too because we have less and less time. That's what they say in this sort of age, you work in, you know, less time. But what I found is Audible, actually, pretty, pretty is, useful. Is,
1: is, is, is that another plug? Is that, is that, is that you, are we getting <laughs> commissions here? Or going- no.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, no, but I'm, I'm open for them if they want to give me some. Yeah,
1: no problem. Uh, but, no, uh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard a lot about them and, and, you know, just even the podcasts alone, it's something that I started to hmm. listen to a few here or there and, can't remember debbie millman was one of the last ones i'd listened to and she interviewed a few interesting characters and very um, good and, and you know, anything i can do in the car and yeah, you know, i try and try and get into music here or there where i can i mean i i, 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 I can i say i predicted the winner of the um uh, triple j top 100 can i say that <laughs> sure <laughs> did you? You, you you know you know who you know who won it was um it was the wiggles yep. right so Wiggles did a remake of uh, sort of Tame Impala, um, mm-hmm. in Tame Impala's Elephant, and the funny thing is, I've been, I've been playing this song for the kids because they because they love the Wiggles, right? You know, and, mm. and this is a more groovy rock song, you know, with with a, with a nice tune. So we've been listening to that song for the past six months, and here you go. Now it's one, the Triple oh. J's Hot 100, very controversially, of course, <laughs> highly controversial, but. Um, it's a it's a good song in my view and interesting. Uh, Wiggles
0: mm. won the top hundred. Wow! Yeah. But we talked uh, about your career and a bit about your personal life. I just wanted to get your opinion on certain kind of topics, if you don't mind. I just I just sure. thro- throw the word out there and tell me what you think about it in general. What comes to your mind first thing? Is that okay? Yes,
1: yeah, that's fine. I'm keen to hear what these words are. Okay, here we go. Holidays. Relaxation.
0: <laughs> Do you uh, often keep it uh, local or you, you like to travel? Or Yeah,
1: I, I really love, really love local holidays. I mean, I, I don't love traveling places.
0: Mm. Um,
1: not that I wouldn't love to go many places. Um, and I'm sure hopefully when we get the chance, uh, we will. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, I just, with a very limited time that you have, you, I, I really try and take advantage of all the natural resources we have here in New South Wales, in, in, in Australia. I mean, uh, I, I think I've probably surprised myself over and over again every time I've been to somewhere new and, you know, locally and, and found that it's such a lovely place Lovely, Lovely place, place yeah. just to keep keep um, trying new places. With, I mean, over the past holidays, I went to two brand new places I've never, never even heard of. Didn't barely did any research about them, and um, it was really, really good. So, um, here's a plug for Diamond Beach up <laughs> North Coast.
0: Yes, <laughs> um,
1: so Diamond Beach is a little town just north of Foster, like just a really scenic place. Lots of little nooks and crannies to go to. The beach itself is amazing. Mm. Um, Family also, friendly. Yeah. yeah, very family friendly and a mm-hmm. um, yeah, really good spot. And also, um, you know, randomly went camping at uh, Turon River. Turon River is probably one of the, um, the closest uh, freshwater streams, I think, to, to Sydney. Um, and it's in the Blue of region. Um, and, again, packed the bags, threw the tent in the car and off we went. And, and what a scenic place. What a beautiful, mm. beautiful scenic place to go to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah. Point for the Turon River. Yeah. This is one of those things with COVID, particularly, you can't travel. Well, we couldn't travel too much. Now it's slowly opening up. You realize how beautiful Australia is and how close you are to, you know. So everyone from places. around
1: the world is coming here uh, to enjoy our beautiful, uh, I guess, country. Um, you know, the least we could do is do the same. Right. That's it. And contribute to the economy here. Okay. Public speaking. Oh, look, it's um, a bit of a passion for, of mine. I always try and push myself into um, that realm. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, I, I do some uh, university lectures and I used to go to the various universities and just tell everybody about my experience in the construction industry. So I, I regularly um, lecture at uh, University of New South Wales, Western Sydney,
0: what subject, um, sorry, if you don't mind?
1: Oh, the project management uh, students in the construction management course, of course. Um, so mm. the construction management students um, are typically third or fourth year and they're about to graduate and, you know, they're wondering what to expect when they graduate and then I, I scare the crap out of them. No, I mean, I, I, I tell them all the sort of things to expect and the sort of key things that I've learnt um, after my graduation and, and getting into that career path. Um yeah, so it's something I've always um, aspired to do, and uh, yeah, of course, yeah, I'm not particularly great at it. But.
0: You have to be a good speaker, I guess, uh, to yeah, be able to motivate those um, new talents, new blood stream that comes to the
1: industry. Yeah, hmm. um, hopefully, hopefully, that's that's the objective. Um, I hope I haven't scared anyone. Um, the feedback so far has been relatively positive.
0: <laughs> okay, um, negotiation oh, negotiation,
1: you know, you just want a single word, huh? Um, <laughs>
0: you can talk about, I don't know. What, what, what comes to your what, mind? Is, is it important? One of, one you know? The mo-
1: yeah, yeah, Sean. Sure. One of the most inspirational things I've learned um, mm-hmm. and, and been able to sort of um, learn is uh, when uh, our company, uh, well, Mark Taylor, uh, brought over a, a gentleman by the name of Deepak Maholtra.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: over to Australia to teach us about negotiation. So Deepak Mahaltrabh at the time, he was the, um, uh, the professor of uh, Harvard University's uh, MBA course. Right. And his expertise is in negotiation. Right. And he did so a single So
0: he, day- he came from U.S. To oh, teach yeah. You got- yes. Right.
1: Yeah. So, you know, and um, he, he taught us a, a single day course, just a one day course. And he taught us some things about negotiation, which were, you know, so fundamental uh, that uh, uh, I I still remember every acronym and every, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, you know.
0: Can you enlighten us a bit? Sure. Yeah. So in
1: in every negotiation, um, each party has a, a best alternative to no agreement or otherwise known as a BATNA. So best alternative to no agreement. So not having an agreement. Everyone right. has their point. Yes. Then the position between one person's best alternative to the next person's best alternative to no agreement mm-hmm. is called the zone of possible agreement, right? Zopa. Mm-hmm. So whenever you're trying to negotiate, you're trying to negotiate within that zone. Within the zone. Mm-hmm. The real, I guess, skill probably comes into understanding your own BATNA or your own best alternative to not having an agreement. So what's your options? in yeah. terms of um you know finding another uh, similar deal and what's the other person's best options and and then mm. it becomes a case of trying to uh, find information about um that person that will you know hopefully help you understand that do you
0: use that sort of mindset in every aspect or is it just kind of a naturally
1: oh. Yeah, look, this is the thing. Like Everyone sort of knows that, right? Everyone, um, it's it's quite fundamental, and I think we all sort of get that. But to break it down into such boiled down steps that, you know, it w- w- was so easy to sort of take in. Um, and, and yeah, certainly we, we do try and, I mean, I do try and implement that mm. uh, wherever possible. Because I think what comes out of it is that you shouldn't try and negotiate beyond... Either side of that zone of possible agreement, because then it's unethical.
0: Because mm-hmm. if you're
1: pushing that person outside that zone, or you're pushing yourself outside that zone, neither aspect is uh, is 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 is, is cool. kind
0: of you. You're trying to hope for a kind of a win-win. You call it scenario.
1: I Apparently, guess. there's no such thing as a win-win. There's always a lose-lose, right? You know, in <laughs> negotiation.
0: Yeah, well, if you're stubborn and you want to stick with your yeah, goal, obviously you think that you lose, but um, uh, you know interesting we we have very similar sort of training obviously uh, being in the sales role a lot of it probably around that and, and it's interesting to see it's very similar because we all deal with people we all want to get what we want out of that interaction and not to make the other person so unhappy because we want to deal with that person still so he's kind of trying to cater for everyone I guess I was talking to one of my colleagues the other day and he actually told me something interesting, which I don't know if you agree. Sometimes you actually let the other person win because you'll be, you'll be like, well, okay, this time you win, but I know actually it will help us to grow that relationship. or for the It's, it's more like a long-term, I guess, approach than just looking at that one piece of deal.
1: Totally agree. I mean, uh, I think... You you have to you have to let people win time to time. Well, like I was saying earlier, I mean you, you, you can't be pushing people outside that zone of possible agreement, you know, and, mm. and that's probably sometimes people don't have that for various reasons. And certainly it goes towards building a positive working relationship.
0: And and Absolutely. it's so important.
1: So important. Cooking. Oh yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, what do you want to know? Um,
0: are you uh, are you cooking? a good chef? Are you, I'm, are you I'm trying a, to be? I'm,
1: yeah, I'm I'm a, re- I'm a reasonable I'm a reasonable chef. I mean, I, I don't cook anything too fancy pants. But what I do do is is understand the food. You know, you have to really um, know the levels of you know um, whether it's the uh, you know just simple. Um, uh timings to simple seasonings um I, I really pay a lot of attention to that i right. mean, I, I, lo- I love the barbecue type cooking i mean i, I love smoking meats I do, I do a lot of you know brisket mm. type things which take a long time mm. um and uh you know lots of um intense you know uh, flavors and uh, Herbs and spices, of which you only get a tiny crust, of course, at the end. But uh,
0: <laughs> I was about to ask: Do you, do you cook any Persian
1: food, or you, not you myself? No, no, I can't. I can't say I do. I mean, um, my my mum was a yeah, my mum was a very good. My wife is a very good cook. You know, the, you know, the, I've, I've been quite fortunate um, to to always have um, really good Persian food being cooked right. up. So I, I don't I don't need to dwell on that <laughs> too much. Um, very good. Okay um leader yeah i think it's something that everyone uh, sort of you know um it, it can relate what's, to uh, yeah. what's
0: your what's your i guess in your mind what's the characteristic of a good leader
1: oh definitely patience i think i think you, you have to have um a tremendous amount of patience mm. and and um tremendous amount I mean, with that is sort of humility as well just being able to i guess sustain certain things so you don't end up, you know, throwing sort of the baby out with the bathwater half the time. So, you, I mean, I think I think anyone that's in a bit of a leadership position is always juxtaposed in a lot of things. And um, the level of patience they apply probably varies, but um, I think everyone applies that.
0: Mm, very good. What would you, I guess, to a new yeah, cadet or an engineer sure, or all that – what what is what is what do you say that what do they expect what should they expect and how they become
1: successful in this industry? Oh look, it's a very loaded question, and and it, probably it's made up of um, several several factors, and I think a couple of the well probably the most important thing is to um, build 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 people's trust in you, right? And I guess the way the way you have to sort of try and do that is. Um, uh, you have to be reliable. So you know, in construction, most of the time it means up. It means showing up at seven AM, you know, mm-hmm. so or earlier, um, and you know, being consistent in what you do. And you know, just that reliability factor is important in any business, but probably more so construction because there's so much so many tight deadlines and timeframes we have to try and deal with, and so many high-stake decisions that you know uh, people have to make. Um, but uh, there's, uh, you know, being honest because I think there's nothing worse than someone hiding something and, and not telling somebody about something that, you know, it could be probably easily fixed if escalated or raised. Right. So reliability, honesty, and, and, of course, you know, importantly, you have to be competent in, in what you do. And the way you, you might do that is um, learn about everything. Learn about mm-hmm. everything as best as you can and apply yourself and work hard Hmm. So, you know, if, if you do those three sort of things, be reliable, honest and competent, I think most people will, will develop a, a trust um, and, and, and sort of enable you to do more. So they'll, they'll, they'll be asking you to look after things. You hmm. don't even have to um, pursue it um, because um, a lot of times um, people have at least one or two of those things and not one other. And just that one other thing a lot of time lets them down.
0: Hmm. Um, yeah. Good. Good. Uh, good guidance, I guess. Uh,
1: Thanks. I, I think I. I think I read in one of these motivational books <laughs> back in like ten years ago or something. Uh, Comes from somewhere. Yeah.
0: Come from somewhere. But uh, yeah. So if someone does all those things, I guess you would expect that person to be a project manager growing the company. Or do you think there's something that a project manager needs to have and
1: can't be taught? Yeah, look, uh, yes. Yeah, look, I think, I think so- sometimes, you know, it, it, something uh, of, of, of a role doesn't suit you and you don't like it or it's, uh, you know, well outside your um, uh, comfort zone that, you know, there's no way you'll, you'll ever conjure that up. But I, I can tell you as a person that probably never saw myself as um, necessarily becoming a project manager, I mean, um You have to back yourself and have that confidence if you are. So, definitely being confident in what you do. Um, But if it's not for you, it's not for you. You know, there's lots and lots of roles in the industry which probably make just as much money and make um, just as much exposure and, um, uh, you know, that that are very fulfilling um, that um, you, you could do. So, Don't 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 feel pressured just to think. Oh, this is the pinnacle of this or that. Because you know, I can tell you some some contract guys that we have um, who are career contract administrators uh, probably more revered than some of our you know project managers, for example. Uh, Mm. And some site man. And I can tell you for a fact that um, site managers, for example, probably get paid more than project managers most of the time. So that's just they're just little. That's just the way
0: it is in construction, isn't it? Yeah. You, you, can,
1: you can be successful doing anything.
0: Anything, yeah. yeah. What is the role of a supplier, really, for you as a project manager? How, how a supplier can help you do your job better? Is there anything a supplier can do, like a Julox?
1: Oh, wow. Oh, geez. Now, Julox are perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's this, there's this bloke who comes by time to time. His name's Huda. I don't know if you've heard of him. Is is very helpful. I, I, we don't even have to think. <laughs> you don't but have to honestly, give me a that, that, does, that, that helps greatly. I mean, honestly, having that point of contact and the face and the person you can speak to and just pick up the phone and say, hey, what are you reckon about this or that or how mm. can we do this? It, it helps. And I know most businesses probably don't have that luxury. And, and Dulux is probably one of the few that um, mm. you know has, has such a large standing that, you know, um, it's so so critical for their business to to continue that so keep it up but i think the most important thing for suppliers to have um you know the the uh, readiness uh to supply that material at any point in time i think that that timing Mm. um always is a is a challenge um, and not with dulux but with most others you know most others um uh, don't manufacture a great deal of material um, right. to have ready to go, and you probably go to Bunnings right now and you'll see there's a shortage of everything, right? There's a shortage of timber and yeah. other building materials that um, and, and yeah. insulation's probably the next one to you
0: know it affects your affects your program, yeah. The timber, the, the steel, and all that. So and yeah, I guess traditionally um, builders rely a lot on um, architects and consultants to choose a lot of their products and as you said Julux has this luxury I guess to have people to contact builders directly to help them out with some of those solutions I guess. That's
1: it's fantastic. Yeah that's good. Thank you. Thank you for all of the um help to uh Julux and team and yeah. um what a what a fantastic supplier. Um and, and you know we, we don't dream of using any other brand of paint. Is that yeah. is that a good plug? Is that will that, will that do? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's honestly, that's honestly the truth. Like, I mean, the, yeah. that, I mean, we rarely, um, uh, yeah. I've never seen anything but Dulux on, Very good. on uh, my project. So there you go.
0: Well, thanks a lot, uh, Fred. Um, that was uh, great ch- chatting with you. I mean, we talked about a lot of things. Um, I'm pretty sure people will enjoy listening to this,
1: um, Thank you, Huda. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. Um, this is probably a bit of a first yeah, no worries. In, in the industry. So I'm, I'm super excited to um, not only send my own podcast to everybody, but your podcast in general, right? Um, <laughs> thanks a lot, man. Thanks for your Thank support.
0: You. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.